0: Positive Feedback Loop. Three, two, one. Welcome to Positive Feedback Loop. This is a special episode because we went on a little field trip. So let me introduce us first. Uh, Positive Feedback Loop is a podcast where we talk about interesting topics and sometimes we disagree and it's really fun. I'm Stephanie, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Ray and Luis.
1: Hello. Hi, guys.
0: So I mentioned this episode is special. We went on a field trip to the Museum of Science in Boston. We thought, hey, we talk about technology all the time. We talk about pop culture, kind of the intersection of those two. So why not visit the Popnology exhibit at the Museum of Science? So another reason this episode is so special is that we are going to take on a non-traditional format We actually had some discussions right there in the exhibit. Some debates, some discussions, some questions. So during this episode, we'll actually flash back into those moments in the exhibit. So listen for those. I think I remarked early on that I've never seen so many robotic arms in one place. (laughs) Hmm. But we did see some other technologies.
1: That's true. So like one of the robotic arms we saw was with Baxter. And that's the robot that can basically record the movements the human can move its arms and it'll just basically program that program into the system and recapitulate it and do it over and over again eventually learn the best way to do it okay
2: i believe it's more it can observe and learn and you can teach it to do things and once it does so it can continue doing that as its job so it can take over the jobs of other people much easier than you don't have to like program it to do something um, you can program it to do work, but the fact—the whole point of it is that it's, it learns easier.
1: Now, when I say program, I didn't mean program using writing code of software. When I say program, I mean like you click on, you know, I guess a record button and then you move its arms in a certain way that you Why want it to in a manual way. Why don't we not make assumptions
2: about how it works?
1: I actually saw a video of back, oh, back you, and you, I learned you, about how it works. Before. Okay. All right. All right. Because yeah. you say... I wasn't I sure think... if this model was different though. I don't know if there was an adaptation to the technology. So yeah, that's... So one version of does Bachelor. it
0: observe what you do? Does it look at? So visually? there's cameras.
1: There is okay. cameras, but that's just one component of its inputs. Another component of its inputs is it's got these arms. You are able to move it, so it records like the movements, right? Yeah. And like time over over the domain of time, and then it repeats them, and then it gets more it refines itself when there's problems.
0: So it learns how to do it more effectively or
1: optimally Yeah, it's itself. like. It's like, you know how you set up your car seat when you press on those, let's say there's three presets and you can program it to be on one preset. Well, you have to initially manually set it up first, right? And then you click on save preset. So that's like you're saving presets, but you can do this on a more larger scale and to do functional tasks.
0: I thought that was really fun that that was the first thing you saw in the exhibit. That's true. We came in, we turned to the left and we see Baxter whose face looks like an iPad. But he kind of introduces the exhibit and he pulls up the little placard that says applause, it's very cute, funny, but it introduces us to the fact that we will be seeing technology, but also placed in the context of how pop culture has interfaced with technology.
1: Yeah. And a big portion of that was communications. I was interesting. I remember when we were talking about and we were discussing the different eras of Phone culture and phone technologies, and how they've gotten smaller and they've become touchscreen, and how those change over time and so quickly, right? You're right.
0: 1942, this is the inside of the
1: walkie talkie. So this, wow. this is the silicon change Yeah. Oh,
0: it's like half the size.
1: And now it's not... So
0: it took 40 years to basically half and the now size. It's
1: on the size of this chip with these sensors and stuff. Well, you
2: got to think about the fact that one of
1: these chips is now on the nanoscale to a degree that
2: we're running into the physical wall of restriction for any further progress. Because it's so small. Do you know why we're running into the physical limits of chip size?
0: Why? Because of the size of an atom?
2: Well, and of an electron. So the whole point of these things is that, you know, you have you're at the trans- they allow the passage of the electrons right that's how the whole point that's why like a bit one zero it's just like passing the current but we're now getting these chips to such a small size and we're running into quantum effects one of the other things that we saw that that was really interesting was just the topic of self-driving cars and you know what i think that although this is something that we're not talking about it right now, I think probably personally the most interesting thing for me was a discussion that we had on space elevators. That's right. Yeah, we had a long conversation about that.
0: Well, you guys got in a heated conversation about how space elevators would work, which I think was really interesting.
2: There's two ways you can do it. You can either have the the satellite or the, the whatever this call I forgot the station on the in the space drop the tether and then have it attached to the ground so have good. the satellite in space and then raise the tether to reach it there, those are two different ways.
1: You put a rocket really to it and probable. move it up. But carrying it up is even harder. That's a lot of weight. in yeah. imagine the well, weight?
2: Well, think about think of the reason why you would want to do a space elevator is because the savings are insane. You don't know how expensive it is to move anything into space? Are you familiar with the per basic pound? dilemma of space travel?
1: Per pound? What are you talking about? Keep no, it
2: no, no, no. <laughs> like per pound, yeah, absolutely. It's extremely expensive. What's easier? Having... Being able to just raise material up and down, probably be a lot of space move spaceships up easily, or having to shoot rockets into space, which are very limited because there is a problem with- We're limited
1: by gravitational
2: force. No, we are limited by fuel. And here's why. When you're to reach escape velocity, you need a certain amount of power. No, you get, need to use a lot of rockets. Okay. The more you're carrying, the and more you? fuel you need,
1: Thus, the more weight you're carrying, thus, the more fuel you need.
2: Okay, okay, okay,
1: okay. No, but the, you, they you have to it. carry it, though. It's no, not like a, t- uh, like a it's what not what like, like, it's like a... It's not like a thin thread. Carrying all a, a, that, cha- whatever huge. material that is, it's a lot of weight you sort fly out which, which is yeah.
2: why a space elevator would be an extreme undertaking for humanity. It would be extremely expensive. Yeah. But the savings would happen very quickly. Like, you, it would pay
1: for itself if we very quickly. Space. Well, let's say you no, want to mine... Like, uh, no, no, is, no one's using it. Hey, we built this you for mine. you guys and no one used it.
2: Well, let's say you wanted to mine asteroids.
1: It's really three main components. You have the space station orbiting the Earth on top, right? And then you have the tether that comes down to the Earth and then the anchor that anchors on all that pole. Yes. That's from what I understand. Yes. Um, if the any of these components plane. fail...
2: The main problem right now... I mean, all of those components... Inter- uh, are doable, with the exception of the tether. The tether is the one thing that we currently do not have the resources to do appropriately because we don't have a material that can handle... that is both lightweight and durable enough to survive
1: the strains of actually being in space. So in the exhibit, there was actually a photo of an example. I don't know if it was, like, you know, graphic, whatever. It was graphic.
2: It didn't exist.
1: Yeah, and there were multiple poles or, like, metallic rods... Entering into the earth, so it wasn't like one, like line or anything. It was like multiple like anchors. So I think that's really the way to do it. Have like this like square or maybe like many different poles entering the earth, and they all uh, create this like sound foundation or this structure that's going to be able to support. So it's not one tether, but even then, it's still, excru- I would excruciatingly dif- difficult. I
2: would wager that what we imagine a space elevator to look like today will be very different from what it actually looks like in, if it ever gets built. And I think the big challenge that we'll see with this technology is not just one of engineering and creating the right materials. It's also one of cooperation. Because the resources required to create a space elevator are a significant investment. It'd have to be
0: international.
2: Exactly. It would most likely have to be an international collaboration to actually make it. Or one country just devoting a significant portion of their GDP to it. But either way, it would be a huge investment. And we as a people, as a species, would see in our best interest currently to do so. But that'll have to be seen what will happen. Maybe, like as you mentioned during our conversation, we'll come up with something else that'll make that unnecessary. I don't foresee that, at least not currently.
1: And what's interesting is in the exhibit, they also showed that Google was funding this type of project early on, but recently halted it due to technical... Difficulties? Difficulties. (laughs) And that brings us to another topic, actually, uh, talking about energy and how we're able to most efficiently utilize energy these days. And talking about microprocessors where you can use small amounts of energy to create all this processing power, which is an interesting conversion.
0: Well, we looked at those old... Phones, the, the brick phone, they called it from the 80s, 1989 maybe. I mean, it did very little, but was powerful for that day. And then we looked at the Samsung Galaxy. Mega? Something. It was, it's a larger phone. It's a large format phone. The brick phone next to the Samsung Galaxy and the comparison of what a cell phone can do. What's so interesting about thinking about what the Samsung Galaxy or any iPhone or any smartphone can do, is we got to the exhibit where it showed all the portions of life that can, that have been replaced by the smartphone. I mean, most children have been born in an age with cell phones.
2: There's already too many things in here.
0: A Rolodex, a typewriter, a calculator, a watch, a dictionary, a telephone book,
2: the
1: menus of the Hong
2: Kong buffet flashlight. One of those super frustrating thermometer, cat
0: clocks. temperature thing. Thermometer, a menu, a calendar, credit cards, a tape recorder, walkie-talkies,
2: a camera, a
1: vinyl of the big chill. A map?
2: Nope. Guys,
1: can it's we like remember media? maps?
2: Maps. Remember yeah. maps? Barely. An alarm clocks. Remember driving with maps?
0: Yes, I do. Or MapQuest, where you'd have to print it out? I
1: did a lot of MapQuest in my life.
0: And you'd have to go on the internet, look it up, print out the driving directions, and then if you got lost, you were like, we have to go back Gee, to step five. I
2: disagree with this down there,
0: because people still play board games. They do. A directory, a clock, a Rolodex, a typewriter. It was basically
1: a someone's living room, or like, Living room in 1992, I would say even.
2: Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, they had
1: cassette tape, so I would have. Did it, so it like actually that. have a date on there? A year? Or did it? I think it down? was like 1986
2: Ooh. or something like that, but I don't. Know if I
1: wasn't paying was close attention. attention. So it's because
0: there was a calendar. It's
1: while. fascinating. I wonder that by fact. That's interesting because we should take a picture of our living rooms and our bedrooms and our kitchens. Take a picture of it now and then look at it in 20 years, and you'll be. A, amazed and surprised by the differences that we'll probably see. So I this idea of a TV in the living room might not even be a thing anymore. You know what I mean?
2: I wonder how many people would just look at that picture and rather than notice the fact that so many of the items that they used to use have been replaced by technology, they
1: would just say, oh God, I was messy back then. <laughs> well, that's true. In it was a, way, a pretty messy room. In, yeah. a way de- <laughs> in a way, we decluttered all these
2: I disagree. Components. I think we found other ways of cluttering ourselves. I'm not saying the we, same didn't way that we didn't find other ways of cluttering, but yeah. we decluttered those portions. You are absolutely right. We don't yeah. need as many of those things to do the works of essential living today. Well, now- I grew
0: up with rows of an encyclopedia. The encyclopedia was rows of books in our in our house growing up,
2: and now it's obsolete. Now that we have Wikipedia and inter- and the internet, all knowledge is available to you on. A smart device.
1: And I think that the fact that we we are doing these things there is still a negative of the digital part of it because we're creating all this digital junk. Right. Which I feel deserves an episode on its own. The fact is we are creating so much data and a lot of it is not really being used later on. It's just kind of like a quick cache create and it's just very interesting to me what kind of I don't think it's called it shouldn't be called archaeology. What is the Artifacts of
0: well, it's a bit digital. of anthropology. I mean, yeah, it's this it is. It's study definitely. of how man lives, and that's that was the point of the pop'nology exhibit was to show how we envision technology playing out in our lives, whether the technology existed or not. What do you think the point of this exhibit is? Is it to
2: show us our, how kids how, how we've come? In, how to get kids interested in technology and things that are coming that are cool.
1: So the purpose is to make younger the younger generation interested in these technologies?
2: Yeah, and also to give them some context because they weren't around for these yeah. shows and movies.
0: So it's more to see how the idea came about. I don't think so.
1: Essentially, I think it's kind of right because if you look at the, the interactivity with the stuff in the exhibits, uh, it caters to, it make, it's made actually it's made for everyone, it's very universal, yeah. which allows younger younger generation to interact with it. The museum is it's around.
2: geared around families and specifically kids.
0: As we saw, for example, the De- DeLorean, we, you know, we see in Back to the Future people thinking about these cool things they can use in the future. And now we're in this era where I think we still think futuristically, but we also think of all the cool things of the past that we want to bring back and use. Like, there are people in their 20-somethings that have probably never used a typewriter, but then they go out and find one because they love this retro feeling of writing something on a typewriter, and it's that feeling of
1: Well, vinyl, old that's the same thing with the story of vinyl records. Did you know that most recently Sony has gotten back into the vinyl record making business? Fact Really? That. Yeah, fact check that. It must be Sony. I like remember Sony being. There. Is it right?
0: Vinyl records are so popular that Sony plans to oh, make I them again. Mean. This was published in the Washington Post on June thirtieth. So you are like right on. Wait, oh, on my, repeat, I place? got my
1: finger pulse in the pulse.
0: Yeah, you are.
2: You've got your finger pulse in the pulse. You're right. <laughs>
1: that, that makes sense. You got it. Then it makes sense. <laughs> There's a couple of pulses going on. It was like a on very here. like crypto thing to say.
0: Yeah, it says in a few more articles that have come out in just the last few days. Sony is making vinyl records again. Vinyl, vinyl. I mean,
2: haven't been made for a while. I mean, there's definitely people who like...
1: Yeah, but the fact that Sony is doing it, I guess, is the... Well, but,
2: but I mean, all I'm saying is... This is a... Audiophiles prefer vinyl to MP3s. And that's that's been the case for Why a while. Is that? They th- they They claim the sound quality is better. I don't hear it, but that's just because I'm not an audiophile.
1: So, the fact is, if you play an instrument that's like purest, you're hearing the purest sound, right? When, when you put it on vinyl, it's also quite pure. It's like a, it's like a digital photography versus like... It's analog versus digital. Analog versus digital. That's well, that's really true. I mean, with
0: 35 millimeter film, th- those pictures can be blown up as large as you want. But when you have digital cameras, you're relying on how many pixels you have and it, and it reaches a max. Well, no,
2: the resolution of a, of a picture that's taken as well with a camera also has to do with you know, what the definition of resolution is, right? Yeah. Which is, if you take two points, it's basically how many points of data you can have in a picture. I mean, that's not really what it boils down to. I forgot the actual specific definition.
1: Well, you got the idea. So, like, how many, what's the bit rate? What's the rate at which you can create sound? Because how many bits do you have per second of audio? That's really what it comes down to. But anyways, that's not. So a...
0: some people say that a thirty-five millimeter camera can give something that's maybe like a nineteen megapixel camera, which is really better than digital cameras right now. Still,
1: but not in like Simply. two or three years. Nineteen seems to be like w- no, what we're think, targeting, right? And,
0: and I think that we already have some digital that's that's just really incredible, mm-hmm. but. 35mm, up until recently, was still better than digital cameras could get. And if you're doing iPhonography, which a lot of people do now, they've replaced, people have replaced their digital cameras with just using their phone, and the phones are not getting as much as 35mm film had. According to Wikipedia, resolution quantifies how close lines can be to each other and still be visibly resolved. So So it it can be be, lines per millimeter, lines per inch. Which eventually
2: goes back to pixels. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, a a basic camera doesn't use. Yeah, it's how quickly, how well can you resolve and understand that things are a thing rather than just blur.
1: That kind of also brings me to the exhibit we saw with the 3D printed car, where we saw the lines in each layer that was printed on top of it. And you can consider that a type of resolution, the same way you're talking about the cameras. So, right now we see the rigid lines that form this car, right? It's not a smooth surface. It's not the same quality as molding is, where you have the material molded it specifically in the shape that you want it without any blocks. It's not a blocky object.
2: The cars, by the way, are brought to you by the company called Stradi. I think one of the thing, interesting things about the Stradi car is that, or Stradi, uh, is that it was placed not too far away from the flying car ideas, right? We have... we've In pop culture, we've talked a lot about flying cars, and there's been uh, several companies that have tried to make flying cars a reality. I know that there's been a, at least one company that's been trying to make flying cars a thing and keep kept projecting when it would happen. 2010, it'll be done 2020, it'll be done this other... And it never actually happens. And it's been one of like the big dreams of people. They had actually a model there that I don't think we we actually talked about. But one of the interesting things about the flying car concept is because you need the engines to operate in a way that humans would not be able to really manage the same way they can with a car, autonomous vehicles, the technology for autonomous vehicles are the things that are making this even slightly possible. Yeah, Because the car can take control and do it on its own, doesn't need the human brain to be, Trying to like balance four different engines, right? That are trying to like f- stay afloat. I mean, I so, have a
0: problem with the idea of a uh, flying car, though, because aren't airplanes flying cars? You can drive an airplane around. It, what I think a flying car really is conceptually is a consumer-grade airplane. But however, like we, something you can drive around the city and then fly, and and there a are an airplane
1: requires know. a runway though.
0: So is the fact that it's a flying car just mean it's an airplane that doesn't need a runway? The
1: way it's well, gonna work, this, I think, this, is the street is the runway. But the future of it, I yeah. think, really will be those uh, quadcopters,
0: like that. It just lifts up.
1: Drones, just leaves. drones. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what's gonna be the future of flying
2: vehicles because I don't think we're there yet. Regardless, <laughs> it'll be it'll be connected oh,
1: to nice. the other. Flying cars. The fact is, they're going to have to be able to communicate in a way that's not existing now with cars currently.
2: I would say that it's it's a mixture of several things. And the idea of 3D vehicles, vehicles that can move in three dimensions and are not just moving on a road, means that, one, it will be hard to get into an accident, with, with crash into another vehicle, because you're, you can maneuver in different ways to avoid them.
1: Positive check. However,
2: it also means that if it does fall... It can create so much more destruction because it's a car falling on you. So that'll be an interesting thing to find out. I think I I I look forward to a future of flying vehicles. It's gonna be interesting.
0: Well, I'm not sure it would be less collisions because that means there's more people just kind of lifting up.
2: Yeah, but there's more. There's fewer. There's less congestion, right? Like if there's, you're never gonna have a roadblock. Like you're never gonna run into a problem with too much traffic. Because you can just go higher. I agree. Or you can go lower. But what's Mm -hmm. interesting
1: is there have been reports of airplanes having to like hold for other airplanes. Well, that's the
2: thing. You need to make sure that they have to communicate. Yeah. If you're doing something like that the vehicles have to communicate, otherwise, you can otherwise, only
0: have autonomous vehicles then.
1: Exactly, it has it to be autonomous. not have
0: manually driven because exactly. there's no lanes in the sky. It's not like you have any order. Exactly. Well, what's really interesting
1: is they currently have these like small drone swarms where there's multiple drones that are all communicating with each other and look like like little you know swarms of birds coming in and flocks of birds like all in a way communicating with each other. And there's plenty to learn from birds. We see how. They fly in very strange, not strange, but in very structured or organized ways in the sky now. And That's interesting. They use magnetic forces to detect where they are in space, and I think what we're using is digital geomagnetism. I think is what you're, you're geomagnetic. Like. Yeah. So geomagnetism yeah. is how they are able to do that. And what we're using is digital information because we're taking the GPS coordinates and the height and any kind of the speed or whatever you have you to identify exactly where the person is or the vehicle is in in its position in time. So what I found interesting also was the wall of inventors and innovators and people that were really projecting what was going to happen in our future. So there was a bunch of quotes and one was from the founder of IBM who said there's only room for this world for five.
0: The wall in the exhibit is kind of like a prophecy wall. Like showed, they're basically pulling quotes of all these people who are either wrong or right about the future and then juxtaposing them with images or call to what has actually happened. So you have like Ray Kurzweil's quote saying the computers will recognize their owner's face from, a, you know, a picture, and then you have him, like, a little Facebook symbol, like, basically telling us, oh, this has, this happens on Facebook, mm-hmm. so this is, like, the Prophecy Wall of mm-hmm. sorts, exactly. this, viewing the future. But it's funny how, I mean, Elon Musk is a dreamer. I mean, he just goes, He is okay with extremes. He's okay with really thinking beyond where people maybe feel safe thinking. And it sounds like Tesla was similar to that. He was okay saying something way beyond, like, there's going to be a telephone can carry in our pocket. Like, he was okay going beyond the bounds of safety, you know, safe, a safe bet.
1: The claims that Nikola Tesla made back in his day, would get laughed at in like at big events right and similar that i think is similar to how the things that elon musk is currently saying oh when i live in the in uh,
2: their defense uh, he was on
1: in love Mars. The
0: there were a mix of quotes like one portion of quotes were these quotes from people who had basically said this will never happen and then it happened so it's like cheeky and then on the other and there were these quotes that, that of people who were just so forward-looking, it's scary. Where Tesla says, there's going to be a, is it Tesla? Who said there's going to be a computer in everybody's, or no, a phone that'll fit in everyone's pocket.
2: Yeah, it was Tesla. But, uh, but uh, how much of that is luck, is the question. I don't know. I mean, people make predictions about the future all the time, and that's they true. have not for a long time. And like, what some is, of them
0: will come true. Yeah,
2: some of them will come true, and then we'll just call them visionaries. Because that's what they were. But it's just you make a claim, and if it doesn't turn out to be true, you're an idiot because you didn't see the future, and we'll make fun of
1: you. And if it does come true, you're a visionary and a genius because you saw the future. Well, I don't think people get you know who make mistakes about what the future looks like gets made fun of. It. It's just like they just don't get Th- that. That was history. the whole point of the wall, I think. The wall was definitely,
0: mocking, definitely that person. mocking. I don't think that. it was
1: mocking. that. I think it was like, as you said, that they're perception at that time was accurate. That
2: was that was in once that was in a couple specific cases, and but the wall was pointing it out as if they were idiots. It was putting him in the context. So the message was yeah. that
1: you cannot predict the future. Even these best of the best. No no the message I the think future. that's
0: a, that could be part of the message you could take I don't away. think that was
1: the message though. They I were,
0: think the message was It was a mocking, but it was also like look, you know, half the people got it right, half people got it wrong.
2: But half the people don't get it right. That's the thing. The vast majority of people don't see the future. It's rare that someone gets that prediction right. And even then, how much of it is actually luck? Right? How much of it is vision... vision, How much of the future is built by our pop culture that you can't possibly have foreseen until it existed?
1: So are we just the recipients of pop culture influencers or are we also I the pop culture influencers
0: it's can be that we actually influence pop culture when we think pop culture influences us it's both ways right but i think of when i was at mit Especially today yes i think of the time i was at mit and somebody told me one of the professors at the media lab had been working on some ideas that actually influenced Some of what went into the minority report, film, and so you would, and a lot of that is now coming to fruition. A lot of the waving your hands without touching anything and moving files around on a screen happens now, especially with even like connect. You have Michael Crichton who talks about going and talking to scientists and seeing what what really is possible or what they've thought thought about. (laughs) But what wraps this exhibit up we, is a discussion we had toward the beginning of when we
2: visited. This is our futuristic I, I time travel
0: episode. <laughs> uh, I guess so. We, we
2: traveled
0: into the future of the past. The past future. <laughs> the question was is the Popnology exhibit meant to introduce the past's vision of the future. So it's like, when we entered the exhibit, it was like we were going back in time to visit the vision of the future that the past had. So we were in the past's future, right? And also in our
2: future that will soon be the past's future. Right. One day... We will see what our predictions of the future will bear fruit and what won't. Yes. And we will be the ones that will either be mocked by our grandchildren for (laughs) daring to dream of moon colonies as the Jetsons did. You know, kind of like the visions of the future of the Jetsons. Do our visions of the future today, will they be the Jetsons
1: of the future? It's a good question. It's interesting you bring up the Jetsons because, you know, we've been imagining things about our future. By the way, the Jetsons decades centuries. I believe the Jetsons
2: take place in like the into two thousands. Well, in the Jetsons future, the world's hellscape, so they live above
1: the earth. Wait, what happened to the Jetsons? Uh, Why do you think that they don't live on the ground? I don't know. It's like flooded? I don't know. I don't know exactly. No one talks about it. it. No No one one talks about about it, it. Jetson.
2: (laughs) 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 So you better hope that's not the case.
0: (laughs) I have noticed that a lot of futuristic thinking about is is not let's build a sustainable earth which i think is futuristic thinking there's a that that portion of people but there's the other portion of people are like oh let's just live on mars and saturn and on the moon so it's like this jeff bezos them. is really
1: like that i listened to a few episodes of not episodes actually like uh, interviews with jeff bezos and he's really for he sees like there's no problem with having a human population of like a trillion people but we'll just have to be able to... Like, we have be... to learn
0: how to live sustainably. Yeah. And, so. and no, no, no. Outside Brilliant. of Earth.
1: Outside of Earth. Oh. Yeah, yeah. He says, not I just Mars, but... I think we can live but...
0: sustainably on Earth. And I wonder why we have this escapist futurism when we don't have a sustainable but, futurism. i but I'm, I'm...
2: I will disagree here very sternly. I think that there's a <laughs> reason... <laughs> I think there's a very specific reason why we need to leave Earth. Why? Because the Earth will not last forever. The Earth will eventually come upon a cataclysmic kind of event. Whether it is caused by us or caused by some other factor, we will need to spread humanity across the stars if we hope for our species to survive.
1: I don't disagree. However, the time frame in which we need to do this is yes, really, really um, open. Because how much progress have we made in like 2,000 years, let's say? We... If another 1,000 or 2,000 years... The Earth still hasn't changed much, probably. There's probably... Some you change
2: underestimate there. how little we know about it, the probability of the Earth just ending. That's yeah, true. Yeah, you don't
0: know... Well, no, we
2: actually we do know
1: the probability of the Earth. We know the history of the Earth but a Do you know lot. how many
2: near misses we've had?
1: No, I don't. So, actually, I don't it's, know the... It's a lot of them. <laughs> are, are we, like, due for a, a asteroid hit? Is that what you're saying?
0: It could happen. I mean, you I mean, know. Not, it
1: could happen, but has it... Is it, like... Are we, like, overdue for one?
0: Well, there's no due. I mean, things move based around in space. Based on
1: probability, but we know how many asteroids have hit based on previous hits, and we've done that yeah. studies.
2: We have relatively a large number of near misses, but the problem is that we don't fund space exploration and research enough so that if one day we do come upon a cataclysmic event, we will not be prepared to stop it. And if we are not at least out of Earth we will be doomed as a species.
1: Hopefully pop culture will yeah. realize I'm not that. saying that this is going to happen I, within 10 years, but I'm saying... My feeling
0: is, I think that a sustainable future is still something we should look for. Absolutely. And that we should, in our futuristic technologies, I think we're thinking about alternative alternative energies and such, and that and space travel go hand in hand, but I think we should kind of show love to the Earth more than just, like, let's also leave it there's gotta I, I this balance
2: i think that there, those are two different goals though i think that are one two is different goals. i think one but i also is... don't
0: feel like it, from a religious standpoint i don't feel like god's just gonna say like well if you can't make it off the planet then you're doomed i'm not gonna protect you at the same time maybe that's part of his plan maybe god is helping humans find a way to live on some incentive planet, to get right? out yeah <laughs> <laughs> Incentive, but just just this this long, hope for expansion. As so, long who
1: knows? as long as we're all able to travel via hoverboard, I don't care.
0: <laughs> and that brings us to a great question for our listeners as we end this episode, which is: What are the technologies that you are looking for in the future? What have you seen in pop culture that you want to be a part of your life? That you hope the invention and innovation moves a little faster so you can experience it in your lifetime. So thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Uh, Remember to follow us on Twitter at The PFL Podcast. We have some really cool swag in the Threadless store at pflpodcast.threadless.com. And let me tell you, we've got some great episodes coming up. So join us. We love you, Piffles. And stay
1: stay crazy. crazy.
2: So you gotta do it in this order, that's the, uh, the sequence from a movie. I don't know, one, two, three, four, five.
1: That's uh, the... It. I don't, I
2: don't know if I to play piano.
1: I'm gonna play that part. Pretty okay, close.
0: so what were you saying about teaching children?
2: Oh no, I just I find it funny that there is a, an exhibit here, which has children compete against a robot to complete a task, which at this young age is probably teaching them very early that they will never beat a robot and will not have jobs
1: when they get older.
2: Which is a little pessimistic. It's a, a little pessimistic. But, it,
1: but is it really? I mean, that's just one way to look at the whole idea of having a job. Maybe the future is the...
2: A connection with like getting, technology. It's good luck getting the government to not let people have jobs.
0: Well, it's also maybe hopeful for parents to self driving cars. as like, I won't have to teach my 16-year-old how to drive.